Turn, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. Believe it or not, next week we are going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. I know you didn't think we'd get there, but we're going to get there. We are winding up the sermon. As we have said before, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon we have directly from Jesus. We started with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the fill in the blank, ending up with blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. From there we went on to you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and the impact that we are supposed to have in the world. And then he mentioned, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. Until everything is accomplished, not one jot, not one tittle of the law will be put aside. And then he went on in chapter 5 to have a lengthy discussion about what really keeping the law means. Because we have a tendency to think that if I look good on the outside, I am good. And he says, no, it is a condition of the heart. Just refraining from the external behavior is not enough if your heart is in the wrong place. And chapter 5 ended with, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is also perfect. Chapter 6, we started talking about doing your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If our goal is to get the praise of other people by doing good deeds, we will get a reward, but it will not be from God. God wants us to do our acts of righteousness in secret, and God, who sees what is done in secret, will reward us. And we talked about giving, and we talked about prayer, we talked about fasting. And each of those, we're supposed to, to the greatest extent possible, do it for the praise of God, not for the praise of men. And so then we started talking about seeking first the kingdom of God, not being concerned about the things of this world. I mean, the birds get food, the flowers are dressed well, God will take care of you too. And last week we began the conclusion of all this, and he says, not everybody's going to hear this and put it and actually do it. The way to life, the way to eternal life, is through the narrow gate and the hard path. Whereas there is a broad gate that anybody can go through, and an easy road that anybody can travel down, but the end result of that is destruction. We don't like that. We would like to think that everybody is basically on the path to the right place. We just have to be sincere about it. And Jesus says no. And we talk about the fact that, you know, we as a modern society think that's rather exclusive. The the amazing thing is not that there's only one path, but that there is a path at all, given the fact that all of us have rejected God. And that's where we ended last week. Now, an interesting thing happens, though. Every time someone teaches the truth, someone is coming behind them saying, well, that's not really the truth. Paul, the apostle, ran into this all the time. He would go to a town and he'd teach. For months he would teach the gospel to them. And then he'd get up and he'd move to the next town. And right behind him would come this group of Judaizers. 
Okay, you want to be a Christian? That's okay. That's good. Be a good Christian. But in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew. And in order to be a good Jew, you have to follow the sacrificial. You have to do all this stuff. And Paul would have to come back and go, no, no, no. It's the gospel. It's grace from beginning to end. And he was continually having to deal with the false teachers that were following behind him. Now, Jesus is going to tell us we shouldn't be surprised at this. Chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. Now, quick little definition, discussion about what a prophet is and why I'm going to use the prophet and the word teacher almost interchangeably here. We have visions in the Old Testament of a prophet being one who prophesies about the future. You know, God comes to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, and says, repent, or somebody's going to take over Israel. They are a prophet. Well, a prophet is someone who is receiving the word of God and communicating it to the people. That is a prophet. So today, there are those who would use the word prophet for anybody that takes the word of God, the Bible, and communicates it to people. So you can read a book about, you know, the art of prophecy, and it is about teaching the scripture. So I'm going to almost use the words interchangeably today when I talk about a false prophet and a false teacher. I would contend that we still have false prophets today. We still have people who say, God told me something is going to happen. And we are told how to judge those prophets. In the Old Testament, there was a simple test for a prophet. If you claim to be a prophet from God... Everything you say has to come true. And the minute one of them doesn't come true, they pick up big rocks and they throw them at you until you are dead. That's the penalty for being a false prophet. The interesting thing is the Old Testament is full of false prophets. And I'm not sure any of them were ever stoned. You look at what we refer to as the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament, you know, the last half of the Old Testament, and you do know that we call them major and minor just because two of them are real long and the rest of them are short. It's not that they're not important. Every one of them, Jeremiah would say, destruction is coming because we've turned our backs on God. And the king would have all these other prophets and go, oh, no, no, it's going to be great. God will protect us. Everything will work out. Keep doing whatever you want to do. They were false prophets. From the beginning of the scripture, we have people taking the word of God and trying to stand it on its head. Satan comes to Eve and says, what did God really say? No, he didn't really mean that. He said, don't touch that fruit. But he knows that when you eat that fruit, you will be like God. And he doesn't want that. Satan was and is a false prophet. 
Throughout Scripture, we have false prophets, and today, in the world in which we live in, we have lots of false prophets. I toyed with the idea of coming up with a list of names, but I wasn't going to do that. I considered that to be a little tacky. I have mentioned in here before that J. Frank Norris, who was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, um, is a vague relative of mine. I think he married my great aunt, great, great aunt or something. Uh, he would preach sermons about the worst sinners in Fort Worth, names given. That was the title of the sermon. I'm not going to do that. But we are going to talk about false prophets. We are going to talk about the fact that every time the truth is spoken, there's someone standing in the back going, wait a minute, let me tell you the real truth. Let me let you in on a little secret and tell you what you really ought to know. And Jesus, as he approaches the end of the sermon, knows, he knows that the Pharisees are sitting around the edges and he knows they're going to start grabbing the people as they leave this sermon going, he didn't really mean that, or this is what he really meant, or if you do that, you're not going to fit into the community, and you don't want to not fit into the community, do you? They're going to start immediately taking his teaching and turning it on its head. So as we get to the end of the sermon, he says, beware of the false prophets. Beware. Be aware that they're going to be there. Be aware of the fact that somebody's going to try to pervert the truth. Well, wouldn't it be nice if the false prophets wore a hat that said false <laughs> prophet on them? Wouldn't that make life easier? But what does it say? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We are sheep. It's an image that is used throughout the scripture for us. God is the shepherd. God has appointed under shepherds, the pastor of our church, to help us. But we are sheep. Now, I'll just throw it in at this point. That's not a real good picture of who we want to be in the sense that there's not much pride in being a sheep. But I think that's the point of the picture. Sheep have a tendency to wander. Sheep have a tendency to do their own thing. Sheep sometimes are pretty stupid. I actually taught a series of lessons to High school, uh, middle schoolers one time about sheep, okay? We're sheep. Now, in comes the false teacher. And in order to have influence, he has to look, he or she, has to look like a sheep. Otherwise, we would run away. So we are told, beware of the false teachers because they're going to come looking like sheep when really they're wolves. Here's a real, real easy question. What do wolves want from sheep? Dinner. 
They want to destroy them. That's an interesting thing. Because one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, why are there false teachers? Why would I want to be a false teacher if I had the option of being a true teacher? Why would I do that? Why would I want to destroy people? Personal gain is probably very close to the top of the list. Yes? It can be anything. Huh? Oh, we're not going there. But, oh. Okay, we'll go there. Her question is, does it have to be a person? No, it can be an organization. Now, most organizations are led by some person. Some person creates some cult, some organization, some something. And they do it for a variety of reasons, one of which is personal gain. We see this throughout Paul's ministry. You know, this guy comes to Paul and says, show me how you do this stuff. I can make a boatload of money off of it. I mean, let's face it. If I had the ability to heal people, I mean, I could clean house, right? False prophet. Yes. Oh. His point is we like to make God into our image. More about that in just a moment. Because we're going to talk about where do all these false teachings come from? Some of them are just good old-fashioned demon-possessed. Yep. Point number one. There have always been false teachers. Point number two, every false teaching that you're going to hear today has probably been taught for the last several thousand years. Every so often, we take Gnosticism and we pull it out of the graveyard and we wrap it in new clothes and we put it out there and go, isn't this wonderful and new? Every so often, we take the belief of God and we start wrapping it in a different way and we present it out there. To me, it's fascinating because you talk to people and go, oh, there's this new thing out there. It's new. It's exciting. And you go, no, it's not. It's been here for thousands of years. I mean, this is good and bad. I mean, my children were listening to the radio one time, and there was this brand new song, Christian song, by a new group, and go, this is really tough. And then they start playing on the radio, and I start singing along. And they go, how do you know that song? I said, this song's been around for a hundred years. They just added a drum beat to it and made it. It's been around since Satan talked with Eve in the garden. What are the false teachings that we hear today, yesterday, a thousand years ago, and if the Lord doesn't come back, a thousand years in the future? They follow several different paths. Half of them have to do with doctrine. Half of them do have to do with morality. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. There is a great debate. 
that people have at times about whether our morality follows our doctrine or our doctrine follows our morality? And to me, the answer is yes. What do I mean by that? I come up with an image of who God is, and my life begins to reflect what that image looks like. Or I have a lifestyle that I want to live, and I begin to remake the image of God to reflect that lifestyle. How does this work? I believe that I should have sex with anybody I want to, as long as I love them, whatever that means. So I read in the scripture that God is love. Well, he is love. It says so right there in the scripture. You're not going to deny the scripture, are you? And all of a sudden, I begin teaching that God wants us to love everybody, and if that love involves sex, more power to it. Which came first, the doctrine or the morality? You flip a coin. I'll take either one. So we see false teachings progressing down the path of doctrinal differences, and we see it coming down the path of morality differences. I want a lifestyle that, well, let's just say God frowns on it. Yes. It's all perversions of God's truth, the point that Diane makes. Why? Well, it's because of this. If you've read the screw tape letters, I quote that in here a lot. He makes the point, these are the devil talking to the other devil about how to tempt, the demon talking to the other demon about how to tempt people. And he says, we can't make up anything. We cannot create anything. All we can do is take what God has created and warp it. That's all we can do. Let's look at the doctrinal side of it for just a moment. I look at the scripture, and I start reading the scripture. I take out my highlighter, and I start highlighting the verses I like. Okay? And that's okay. People do that all the time. That's great. They're verses that they want to remember. I highlight it. Well, then I find the verse that I really like, and I highlight it, and I make big circles around it, and I begin to teach that all God is is what is defined in that verse. And I start throwing away all the others if they do not agree with my understanding of what God is in this verse. I just told you what the biggest example of that is today. We're stopping. (laughs) Where were we? We were talking about false teachers. <laughs> you probably should know that at least once in my career of teaching this class, Ted has gotten a call about my teaching and the heresy that I was teaching and that it needed to be corrected. So we worked all that out. So. <sighs> no. <laughs> what is it that constitutes false teaching? 
that is taking the word of God, pulling out some piece of it, wrapping a wrap around it, and saying this is the entire truth. That is often done, and it is a demonstration of one of the ways that we develop false teaching. A second way is that we add something to the teaching. I mean, if you're aware of what Gnosticism is, Gnosticism believes that there is some secret knowledge that I have that you don't have that helps me to become a true follower of God above and beyond you. So I will bring you in and you'll say, you know, you study the Bible, that's good, but let me let you in on a little additional information, a little extra teaching that the masses of people aren't aware of. They're not enlightened like you and I can be if we have this special teaching. I am always fascinated by the books that show up in the bookstore that say, I found something that nobody has ever known forever about God, and I'm here to share it with you. Now, I do believe God reveals himself to people, okay? But if somebody says, I've got something brand new to teach you, they're probably wrong. Probably wrong. So we have taking the scripture, taking pieces of it. We have taking the scripture and adding something to it. Part of the adding something to it <coughs> is the idea of what is our authority. What is it that can constrain you to live and to believe certain ways and certain things? This was one of the big debates in the Reformation. We saw this last year when we worked through our series of sermons on the Reformation. What is our authority? We believe that the Scripture is the authority. The Catholic Church believes the Scripture is the authority plus the teachings of the Pope. Now, some of the teachings of the Pope are good, some of the teachings of the Pope are bad, but it's the teaching of the Pope. So you get the Mormons, and they'll say, we believe the Bible, the King James Version. They believe the Bible, but we have this extra book called the Book of Mormon. And then there's two other books, Covenants and whatever, and the Pearl of... Whatever. We have some extra teaching that those people over there don't have, but if you follow it. So we have taking the Scripture and taking pieces of it. We have adding things to it, and we have a question of authority. And all of these come together to form false teaching. So how do we protect ourselves from this false teaching? Number one, we learn the scripture. Okay? When somebody comes up and says, the Bible says early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, you should be able to know, no, I think that was Ben Franklin. <laughs> it may be true, but it's not the scripture. If someone comes up and tells you, the Bible says we're to love each other, and I love my homosexual partner, so the Bible is in favor of this. You're supposed to go, hmm, maybe that's not all the scripture says. Maybe the scripture actually tells us what love really means. So we have to know the scripture in order to know what the 
false teaching is. But the second step is so important, we oftentimes forget it, and that is that we have to remember that we are part of a community. None of us individually are smart enough or strong enough to stand up against the false teachings that Satan can throw in our direction. You need to be able to go ask someone in this community, what does this verse mean? And they may not know, they might know, and if they don't know, they'll go find out. We are here to help each other. We are not here to be individual Christians knowing the truth on our own regardless of what anyone else says. Because that's actually, actually one of the way that in particular cults get started. One of the prime goals of a cult, which is a false teaching usually centered around some very charismatic leader, but one of the first things they try to do is to extract you from whatever community or family you're in right now. That's why they want to separate you. They want to start their own family. That's why they look for people from mixed up families that the separation is not that big a deal. I want to pull you out so that I can show you the truth. You can read through the Bible and you can find example after example of false teachers leading people astray. You can find examples after examples of people confronting false teachers. I know the Apostle Paul confronted the Apostle Peter because the Apostle Peter was trying to be nice to the Judaizers and still nice to the Gentile converts in Galatia, and Paul says, stop that. Don't do it. Every one of us stands in need of the community to help us. None of us are strong enough on our own. So, beware of false teachers. Know the scripture. Know the community in which you exist, and ask for their help. Why? Because the false teachers are going to sneak in looking just like you and me. They're going to sneak in looking like sheep. But instead, they are ravenous wolves. Why? What, what's in it for them? We talked about that. There's pride, there's gain of resources, there's influence, there's sex. There's a lot of cult groups that center around sexual activity. All of these things, we are looking for worldly accomplishments, and I'm a charismatic person, and I want to get you on my side because of my pride, and I start leading you astray because it makes me feel good to know that I'm better than that, that old crummy pastor you used to have. And I've brought you into my fold. And what is the ravenous wolf going to do? Going to eat you alive. We're going to have a long discussion sometime in the future of this year 
when Jesus finally gets around to letting the Pharisees really have it. You know, the whole book, he's kind of toying with them. And finally, he just turns to him and says, you brood of vipers, you search the world to find converts, and then you make them just as worthy of hell as you are. You see, if I'm believing something off base, my ego says, I need to convince you that it's true. I need to bring you with me. Now, there's an easy answer about what a false teaching is, okay? You ready for this? This is easy. A false teaching is anybody that disagrees with me. <laughs> Perfect, right? Don't be like that. I've read enough stuff by people who doctrinally probably don't totally agree with what I believe in to know that there are people seeking after God in the scripture. Remember all those different scriptures that we were talking about a while ago? Some people do have a different interpretation of it. And if, if it's not critical to the gospel message, cut them a little bit of slack, just a little bit, okay? Not everybody has to be a heretic. Not everybody has to be a false teacher. But we also have to acknowledge that there are heretics and there are, are false teachers. We need to understand the scripture to understand this is the core. This is the gospel. If you look at Paul writing to Corinth, to Timothy, to Titus, he says if anyone offers a different gospel, deal with it. That's bad. But you know, if somebody wants to have the females cover their heads, we don't have a law about that. Whatever. Romans talks about having differences of opinions about certain issues, and we are to let God deal with those. But when somebody starts playing with the gospel, when somebody starts playing with the authority of Scripture, we need to address that. And the gospel is oftentimes the first to go. Why? It is the core of what it means to be a believer. So, what do we have? Well, we have people who teach the gospel message and they keep wanting to tack something onto it. The Judaizers. Yeah, you can believe Paul's teachings about grace, but you also need to be a good Jew. Today. Yeah, you can believe God, uh, Paul's teachings about gospel, but you also have to be a good American. You have to be a good Baptist. You have to be a good Methodist. You have to be a good Bible. We want to tack things onto it. And I might add, there's nothing wrong with being American, being a Baptist. Being, I, there's nothing wrong. But when that starts to change the gospel message, you need to watch out. Because people are going to pervert the gospel message. Now, today with our belief in relative truth and all of that, we have taken the gospel and we've started pulling things out of it. Wait a minute, how can you pull something out of it? It's just grace. Yeah, but what if we pulled the grace out of it? You know, I read in an article years, years ago, you know, we talk about grace by, I mean, salvation by works. We talk about salvation by grace. Today we believe in salvation by death alone. 
Think about that for a moment. You die and you're saved. If God's a loving God, why, why would you have to do anything? Just, you'll be okay. God loves you. You're going to get to heaven no matter what. The scripture doesn't teach that. What was last week's lesson? The gate is narrow, the path is hard that leads to life. And few find it. In my teaching, when I have taught people to teach, we used to have a class on that, by the way. When I taught people how to teach, there are a few core things that you have to understand, salvation being one of them. You know, I can get messed up on which king came after which king in the Old Testament. You may not remember, but I was teaching a lesson in this class, and I was talking about some son of David and whatever did this, did this, and somebody raised their hand and goes, wait a minute, that's not the son. And I go, oh, that was the other one, wasn't it? <laughs> we can mess up that, but if we mess up the gospel, we're getting in trouble. That's why we collectively, we collectively need to learn what the Bible teaches about salvation because there are those who continually want to add something to it. Yes, Jerry. Well, I experienced the James, the blood being pressed, and then, you know, this is in the rest, and, and it's always, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a religion or denomination. Oh, yeah. It's everything. Any organization has some entrance criteria, okay? And people want to play games with that. Whether it's a gang, a company, or, heaven forbid, a church. Beware. Now, we have minus one minute left. And we haven't got to the key way that you understand who the true and who the false teachers are. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree produce, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruit. My goal is to go out there and find an apple on a tree. And I start looking in an orange grove. What are the odds of me finding an apple hanging off of an orange tree? Nil. Why? Because apples grow on apples trees and oranges grow on orange trees. Now, my daughter's favorite Chuck Norris joke is Chuck Norris can pull an orange off an apple tree and make the best lemonade you've ever had. But that's not real life. Real life is I want an apple, I look for an apple tree. If I have a true teacher, you will see true fruit. Now, this fruit falls into the same category that we talked about what caused the false teacher in the beginning. It can be doctrinal or it can be a moral issue. What are the moral fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. 
If you have a false teacher, a cult leader who is leading young people astray, and he tells them to be angry at their parents, they're a false teacher. They just are. If the fruit of the Spirit is not reflected in the teaching, it's false teaching. So it can be false doctrine. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ was not really the Son of God, but he was a really good man, and you should listen to him because he's a really good man. I told you, I had a uh, professor in a humanities class, and she loved Plato, and she loved Jesus, good men who died for their beliefs because the people couldn't handle the truth. But that's all they were. False doctrine, bad fruit. False behavior, bad fruit. But here's the scary part. Here's the scary part. True teachers are supposed to have good fruit. Not just as an accident, Apple trees produce apples because they're apple trees. Not because they just woke up one day and randomly produced an apple. It is in their nature. True teachers sharing the scripture, sharing the gospel, sharing the reality of who God is will produce fruit. And what we're talking about here is bad teaching, bad fruit. Good teaching, good truth. I mean, uh, good fruit. We're going to pick up at exactly this point next week. And next week, we are going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> One way or the other. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given me to teach this class. Teaching this class. I'm not done yet. Teaching this class is the highlight of my week, okay? It really is. I've enjoyed it. I enjoy preparing for it. I enjoy thinking about it. So I thank you for the opportunity to let me do this. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the scripture that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be aware of the false teachings in the world around us that we would not be led astray, but that we would follow you and the truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.